Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast presented on the Chop Sports Channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Sunday, September 3rd. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Manchester City are undefeated. Liverpool do their Liverpool thing at home and the Ange Ball revolution continues at pace. But first, Arsenal versus Manchester United was a classic, rekindling some of the old rivalries of the early uh, and mid-90s stuff, and we're going to get into that in just one minute. Please like, share, and subscribe the show. It means everything to us. Hit the like button, hit the share button, hit the subscribe button, hit the follow button. Wherever it is that you're listening to this, follow the show so that you can hear it when it comes out. Because if you don't, then you have to go find it later and it's a pain in the neck. Okay? Okay. Let's get to it. All right. I'm going to try uh, and go a little bit more chill and relaxed pace. You know, sometimes I go into these shows and I kind of run through it and try and get to the scores. Bah, 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 bah. But no, I'm going to take it easy and really try and settle into this United versus Arsenal game and breathe it in and take it slow and really try and think about what just happened, what we just saw, uh, where we were going, and what was happening. Um, as we saw the game started, uh, lineup changes. The only things that were pretty interesting was Arteta was forced to go back to the last season's very successful lineup of White, Saliba, Gabriel, and Zinchenko across the back. So that was Arsenal's big thing. He did retain Havertz, and Inketia was up front. We almost all know Arsenal's lineup. They play that 4-3-3. In this case, Rice was in the Partey role, which I thought from the start was going to be a good thing for, um, for Arsenal. So that set, set things there. That first step was like, okay, Arsenal are come to play. They have their right group in place in terms of what I think is the least disjointed because they've been having trouble this season. On the Man United side, we did have the same thing, but Martial did play, same lineup as they played. Uh, but it was Lindelof and Lissandra Martinez with Delow and Wambisaka. When I see Wambisaka for United, I'm always immediately concerned that they're going to have a hard time with the buildup. And intrinsically, they did. Uh, those early season lineups with Garnacho seem to have been replaced. The early season lineups with Rashford through the middle have been gone. So Rashford's in his most natural position, the position that he scored goals from. Okay. Everything's where it should be. We have things the way they are expected. Uh, early exchanges in this game were as expected. I thought Arsenal were good. Arsenal controlled the ball. Uh, United, at their best, are defensive, especially when Juan Bissaka is in the back four. He did a decent job of controlling Martinelli. The first moment in the game came when the sputtering, lack of confidence having I don't understand why you bought him. Kai Havertz missed a sitter on a really nice move between um, between Odegaard and Martinelli, where Art Martinelli got to the uh, to the byline, crossed it back into Odegaard into Havertz, and he whiffed like a miss, miss, miss. And the first twenty minutes were really Arsenal really being in control as you'd expect it. Now, were they their fluid best? No, this is not the same arsenal as the first half of last year they're not there they don't have that 
clicky bing bing bang uh <laughs> going together uh however they do look better when gabrielle and saliba play together so they weren't in trouble uh they weren't under pressure they were controlling everything that united was doing but in terms of offensive fluidity it wasn't working because that havertz piece still is not connecting he's not confident he doesn't know what to do it seems like just from my amateur perspective that his lack of confidence is spreading to his teammates they don't even want to give him the ball so he's kind of just drifting winning headers here and there he doesn't ooze the confidence that Shaka had even though Shaka is not as good a player he was a very confident player he believed that he was the best player on the pitch even if he wasn't so Havertz is still listless and it's still not quite working then uh on the break against the run of play United did what United do a bad pass from Martinelli back on the inside Erickson intercepts it he's got lots of space he puts his head up he finds Rashford out on the left wing Rashford does the Rashford things. He pulls he pulls um both White and Saliba out with him. Then they sort of take the same line together so they don't spread out and make a kind of mini wall to defend the shot and Rashford shoots it in the top corner. Ramsdale does get a hang on it, hand on it, but there you have it. Amazingly, United are up a goal and their defensive solidity is there. Um I thought that from before the goal, I thought that United were doing what they wanted to do in that they were being very slow, very deliberate, keeping possession of the ball intentionally to reduce the number of minutes they had to defend. I think Ten Hag understood that they weren't going to be able to cut through Arsenal the way they were playing. They were happy to have the ball and do nothing with it as a means of defending. So I think from that perspective, that was good. Uh, but Arsenal, again, disjointed. However, a minute and a half after the Rashford goal, boom, boom, bang, there's Odegaard on the end of something, scoring a goal uh, really good down the right, down the left side with Havertz involved in this one, Martinelli and, 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 and Zinchenko, that whole side, the United defense gets pulled towards that side. And it's, it's Ericsson trying to defend uh, Odegaard, who comes in late for the cutback, perfectly slotted in, and it's 1-1. And here we have, we're through the half, first half, about a half hour in, and it's a 1-1 game. Pretty chill, pretty even, pretty, pretty good. Everything from United's perspective, they'll feel good. They're defending as good as they have. They're defending as a unit. They're tracking runners. They're not really giving up too much to Arsenal. Arsenal are in control and creating the better chances and playing the game in the United end. Uh, the, why do we know that? Because at the end of the game, Arsenal end up with something in the range of like 15 corners to two for United. So at the end of the game, you can sort of say the tilt, the field tilt was on the Arsenal side. They were by no means dominant. This was not a great Arsenal performance, but their big players did big things, right? So, Martinelli did try and get on the ball. Wambisaka neutralized him. Odegaard did do the things he wanted to do, but wasn't able to affect the game. But they were trying and putting in effort. The Havertz piece really slowed down the attack and really caused a lot of issues that Arsenal um, should be, frankly, worried about. 
uh, they were not able to break down United. And United can feel like they played well in general. So that's the first half. Uh, kind of a feeling out with a little bit of advantage um, Arsenal. I think that's a fair assessment of the first half. Ultimately, the stats were not crazy. Uh, this was a relatively shared possession, relatively shared uh, pass accuracy. The big difference being, like I said, Arsenal had a lot more corners, 17 shots to, to 10. And this was a, a United played a very decent away performance that you would have expected. Um, second half, there were changes and I got we got to see uh, Hoyland come on for the first time and he put effort. He's a big target. He did good things around this game, but things start getting a little bit nuttier later in the game. Uh, changes come in. Martial, we know, comes off. Anthony comes off. Both central defenders for United do come off. United, by the end of the game, are playing. <laughs> Check this. They're playing the center back pairing of the 2017 uh, Leicester City. So it's it's Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire end up in the back uh, up for them in the end. Um, Anthony comes off as usual. Marshall comes off as well. Anthony for Garnacho and Hoyland on for Marshall. It's in, and uh, oh, I will say that uh, Havertz did eventually come off for um, Vieira, which everyone had been calling for for ages, and anyone who was anyone probably wanted <laughs> that as well. But um, the big, big talking points in this game were the offside. The There's two. One was a before Havertz came off in about the 57th minute, uh, there was a penalty shout where Havertz gets put through. I think it's Rice. And he goes through, um, I believe it's Wan-Bissaka and one of the central defenders. He goes through, there is contact, but he goes over. Um, initially called the penalty. VAR comes in and says no penalty. Um, it was probably no penalty. It was probably a dive. I'm sure there was some contact, but the angle that was given looked like no penalty. And from what my sense of watching it was, Havertz was never going to shoot and try and score. And so his lack of confidence, almost in a weird way, led to his dive in a weird way, where he just wasn't as interested in... Um, In, in trying to score that goal anyway, he was looking to dive. He wanted to dive. He found the contact and threw himself over. Uh, I'm right now just trying to make sure I get to the next statement of intent in this game. And I believe it's the Garnacho play where we do have the play is Hoyland on a let off. Casemiro plays Garnacho in on 87. United look like they're going to score it. He slots it home, but, and I hate VAR because this is about as close to a goal as you're possibly going to get. United end going crazy. Really nice touch from Hoyland into Casemiro, who then plays Garnacho through. Garnacho had come on. He's such an electric player, especially off the bench. And the intent of the game 
is to allow for these goals to stand. But by the letter of the fraction of the law of the thing, we have an offside goal. And I'm sure that United fans will feel how done. That angle, it's very, very close. Gabriel jumps forward at the last minute and it does end up working. Uh, he might in other times be chastised for trying to do that. Maybe he should have just dropped off, but he ends up jumping forward, putting two feet ahead and kind of leaning forward. And that lean actually gets Garnacho to be offside. So the offside rule is based on minutia, is based on nothing. <laughs> it's insane that this game is called offside. And uh, if I were anyone, I would be losing my mind. So Jesus came on. He's playing things through 95th minute. Odegaard takes a shot. It's deflected and we get a corner. So this is cometh the man, cometh the moment. On the corner, there's a little bit of tussle between Gabriel, but Rice is on his own, takes a deflection off Johnny Evans, who was fouled, he says, in the buildup. Rice gets his goal on the 95th minute. This is part of this new stuff. We get all this extra time. There's eight minutes added on. This in normal history would have never been a goal. So we have squeaky bum time on top of squeaky bum time on top of squeaky bum time. Rice gets the goal. He gets the moment. He puts himself in the corner with all the fans. The Emirates is bonkers. Johnny Evans has a shout on maybe he's fouled. Maybe he's picked by Gabrielle. The cross comes in. It's not really picked up. And it's just a moment that Arsenal can lift themselves. We're going to hear the did you over celebrate thing. It's game four of the season. I hope no one thinks that because it's dumb. Uh, I think it's silly. But yeah, uh, so you see Rice peels back. He's on his own. He's leaning back. The ball is a deep cross from Saka. Uh, Gabriel does pick off Johnny Evans. He's got him by the shirt. He's got him by the waist. I don't think that Johnny Evans was ever going to get out to Rice, but maybe he would have. Uh, he's a good 10 yards away from him on the six-yard box. Uh, the angle's tough. Uh, of course, uh, Maguire's there. Uh, Onana takes a step the other way. The deflection gets it in. It goes on his near post, and Arsenal get the 2-1 lead on the 97th minute. But the game was not done. There was one more goal in this one. On the break, uh, it's Fabio Vieira passes it into uh, Gabriel Jesus, who puts players on their ass, goalkeeper and defender, and slots at home in the 100th minute for Arsenal to win this game. Uh, a classic, a classic, a classic, a big game, an important game, a game that you'd expect a champion to win. So Arsenal go into this break feeling very good. United go and sort of keep living in this cycle where they can't beat big teams away from home. But frankly, United played well defensively ultimately. And this game sort of got away with it, got away from in the, in the hundredth minute, you know, like 95th minute can't defend a cross hundredth minute, a goal on a break. So it's really a one, one game that they could have feel like they won on the offside goal. That was, marginal uh for arsenal they win a game they weren't playing well for united they feel a little hard done in a game they feel like they should have won but what i didn't like is in the post game is ten hog complaining about calls my guy you got a gift against fucking wolves you got a gift against uh nottingham forest shut the fuck up okay you're manchester united you don't complain about calls okay you're not 
You're not in a position to complain about calls, okay? Offside is offside. We know that. Don't talk about angles, you know? You got a penalty re overturned against you that in other games is a penalty. In other history is a penalty. VAR overturned it. And you're complaining about a push in a box when your team can't defend a corner. You're complaining about an offside goal because of the angle of the cameras. Shut up, dude. Shut up. You got a gift against Wolves when Onana punched three guys in the face all at once. Okay, Ten Hag? Your complaining is not working. Your Dutch attitude of being frank and open is bullshit. So, United, you're not playing well because you're not good enough. You don't have the players. You don't have the players. You spend a half a billion dollars and you still don't have good players. That's on you. That's on you. That's not refereeing decisions. That's on you. Uh, your team still plays slow, can't get through the thirds. You you have a 20-year-old striker who you're expecting to carry your team. That's on you. Okay. Okay. That's not on that's not on uh that's not on 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 the refs why you lost this game. Okay. So just to just to keep clear on that one. Um so that's a big game. They go into the international break. Unite Arsenal go in on a high. Uh they have um three wins and a draw, so feeling good, plus four goal difference on ten points. United have the two wins. And now two losses after the Spurs loss. So better than the Spurs game, I'd say. They really got cut to pieces away from home against Spurs, but uh, a much better defensive performance. They're really in the same place that they are because they're playing some of the same players in the same place as they were. So United may have purchased players. Onana, sure. Um, but it's still Wambisaka. It's still Lindelof. It's still... Um, Casemiro, it's still Erickson, it's still Rashford. So the team that scored 58 goals, there's no change to that team. Why do you think it's going to score more goals? Uh, you haven't done anything. There's nothing in the team that says this team has changed. Uh, you got lucky last season outperforming your XG, and you're still doing the same things. So uh, I don't think that there's anything that says that um, the great and powerful of Manchester United is back. You got lucky last year, and you're still playing within that luck. So there's that. Uh, the next game to go to, let's stick with today's games. Um, Liverpool versus Aston Villa at home. Uh, Liverpool looking good here. Slobozai gets a goal on three. Um, the high line from Aston Villa, liveth, liveth, uh, Unai Emery liveth by the sword and dieth by the sword. Uh, there was an injury again. Same kind of problem as that game against Newcastle that Aston Villa played so poorly when um when when Mings went out in this case um Diego Carlos goes out after he's supposed to partner with Pal Torres and it kind of throws things off they do have Konza there and they slide him over so they do bring in Matty Cash to play fullback uh, he was already on the wing but I'm sure I'm pretty sure that he drops into do they what what did they do how did they play defense? Anyway, I'm not exactly sure. Their plan sort of went out the window as they were not able to play um, uh, the five at the back. Oh, they were they did play five at the back. So uh, I'm sure Matty Cash just dropped in. Um, Konza moved over, and they just went to their back four instead of the 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 wing backs with Cash. So um, they they caused threats. I think Liverpool were on show. I think the things that are Liverpool's problems are still there. 
there were some really good chances for Aston Villa, but going forward, Liverpool are still supremely outstanding. They get a goal from Slabazai. They get a, a Matty Cash own goal on a on a cross that he can't do anything about because there was a, a tap in on the backside on 22. So they're up 2-0 and really cruising. And then Salah gets a nice goal on a flicked header from a corner uh, by Mo Salah. And they cruise in this one. But I still think it's a work in progress. I still think Liverpool ultimately have defensive problems. They still are not quite where you want them to be. And they're still having problems keeping out good chances. And I think, especially at home, they're fine. Uh, if if um, if Aston Villa had a bit, been a bit more clinical, they might have had a problem. I think a 3-1 or a 3-2 or a 4-2 might have been a better scoreline here. Uh, but I do, I am sort of bummed out about Aston Villa just really not being good enough. I, I really rate Emery. I really rate this Villa team, but they're clearly not ready to go to hostile grounds against powerful, pacey teams. They basically got turned over the sort of the same way they did against Newcastle, where it looked like they had good chances. It looked like they were doing okay, but ultimately just got overpowered. Uh, I don't like the athleticism of Pau Torres at the back. He seems a little bit lightweight or seems to make mistakes or whatever in defense. He doesn't have that authoritative kind of premier league defender, Ben me Tarkovsky feel to him. So I do worry for Aston Villa there, but again, Liverpool just do look a class above. I think as we, as we get to some of the other teams, there's really only three teams that are okay in this division uh city are up here then i think arsenal and liverpool are a pair together and then i think yeah and then i think tottenham are probably tottenham and brighton are probably the two best out of the next two so that fourth spot is between right now in terms of form is tottenham and and brighton and then of course we have the teams that we expect to be better but are not playing well right now and that would be uh united and Newcastle, who are just having a little bit of a hard time adapting to where they are right now. Okay, um, but man, a lot of great, great games. This is the weekend of hat tricks uh, as we get into yesterday's games. Um, I will I will cover that in a minute. Uh, just in terms of today's games, a fun high-scoring game, Crystal Palace versus Wolves. So we'll just finish out Sunday. Crystal Palace versus Wolves was going on at the same time as the Liverpool-Aston Villa game. 3-2. Who knew that was going to be a 3-2 game? Uh, Gary O'Neill, my guy, doing well, but unable to halt the power of 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 uh, Crystal Palace, who just get the 3-1 lead um, and put the game away. Crystal Palace at home. They're definitely better than the rest of the sort of lower league teams, Crystal Palace. Abrilze Eze is just such a player. He had a penalty shout. He scored a goal. He's just so, so good. Uh, there's just some, there's like a good player on almost every team in a division that if a game is on, watch that team and see what's going on. Like for, um, for Wolves, you know, Cunha and, 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 and Neto are just fine, fine players. And I really like Jose Sar, the goalkeeper. So Wolves have good players as well. They're just not good enough and not enough of them to really affect the team where they're missing that 
key focal point up front that that's not getting them goals. But uh, Wolves and Gary O'Neill, uh, I like him as a coach. Uh, his teams show fight. You know, he, they could have just easily given up at Selhurst, but they do pull in 3-2. And when you're in that bottom group and you're battling, that goal difference stuff matters. And so um, I thought Crystal Palace were fun. Crystal Palace were good. Uh, you know, the goals here are from uh, Edison Edward and Eze. Uh, Edward gets the first one, then Eze and then Eze on 78 and Edward on 84. So the first half was pretty scoreless, pretty cagey. But then second half, there were five goals <laughs> with Cunha picking up the late one at, on 96. So a, more of a consolation, but uh, still a good game. You know, Wolves carrying most of the ball. We know Roy Hodgson team is going to go on the break, but still fun game. Uh, not one that I need to talk about too much. So that's Sunday's matches. Of Saturday's matches, the premier top game was Brighton 3, Newcastle 1. My boy, Evan Ferguson, with the hat trick. What a man. Uh, his first goal comes on 27. It's a shot by the great and powerful Billy Gilmore that Pope probably should have got a hold of. But to be fair to Gilmore, he lathers this thing right into the belly of Pope after a corner. So it's a little bit disjointed, a little bit of chaos moment. He spills it. Ferguson's there, puts it home. He gets his first goal of the season. The second one is even better. Uh, and to be clear, Brighton is controlling this game. The XG does not tell the truth. They were in control of this game. First 10 minutes. Newcastle did their Newcastle things, but once Brighton was able to settle down, uh, I think Isaac had an early chance. Let me just look through the, the the log here. Yeah, it's Isaac twice early in the game on one and then three, a little bit scary, but then it's all Brighton, all Brighton until a shot by uh, Joe Linton after the goal by Ferguson, and then another shot late in the half by Isaac. But it's all controlled by Brighton. All the shots are by Brighton. They're not great shots by any means, but um, they are in control of this game. The second goal by uh, Ferguson on 65, he's dropping into space the whole time. He's showing all the skills that a modern striker has to come. He's coming off the back, dropping into space. The ball is going into him from Gilmore. He turns. They drop off. Uh, no, no, no Botman in this one, and you could tell for Newcastle, and he Fires a shot into the top corner. Evan Ferguson cometh the man, cometh the moment. What an incredible player. He's on his brace. And five minutes later, he gets his hat trick. This one on a deflection. But still, uh, Brighton completely, completely dominate this game. And we have to wonder what is going on with the great and powerful Newcastle. We're not seeing the fight. We're not seeing the effort. We're not seeing the power. We're not seeing any of the things that made... Newcastle, Newcastle, there's not the edge. I think uh, the player that gives them that edge is is Joe Linton. He's not snapping people in half. He's not knocking people over. He's more shuffling. He may be carrying an injury. Uh, I thought Bruno as the deepest lying midfielder he keeps seeming to give the ball away. There's just some strength and power that is missing from the game. I don't want to short shrift our man, Mr. Um, Callum Wilson did score a late consolation on 92. Very nice goal. Uh, Lewis Dunk was very pissed. Uh, our guy, um, Joel Veltman, really shut down Anthony Gordon, who had been the player of the season so far for Newcastle. He did a job that he needed to do 
and shut this thing down. The changes on 58 when um, Newcastle took off Joe Linton, Almiran, and Tonali, it didn't change anything. In fact, I'd argue it made it worse. Uh, yeah, they just don't. Something is off about Newcastle that cannot quite put my finger on yet. Uh, second half, I'm not a lot less going on, but a lot more control by um, Brighton. Uh, Matoma, again, just controlling things. The stats in this game don't really reflect, I think, the performance by uh, Brighton. It was a complete controlled performance, almost similar in a way to the West Ham game, except this time on the break, they didn't get give up goals. Like, I really thought the West Ham game for Brighton was pretty good. Uh, and they'll feel hard done that they lost that game because West Ham were way more clinical. Uh, but in this game, I just loved it. I loved every moment of it. I loved all the flicks. I loved all the moments in the box. I mean, when you can bring on Muhammad Dahoud for Billy Gilmore and Lamptey and all these guys that can just come on and control the game, this this Brighton team is deep. They're here to stay. They're definitely going to finish in the top six. They could win the Europa League. This is a really, really good team. And we have a superstar in the making in Evan Ferguson. It cannot be discounted how many things he does well. Now, consistency from game to game, we don't know. But he links up. He drops deep. He makes the runs. He's got a nose for goal. He does all the... He's got a great shot on him. Left foot, right foot. He does all the things that you'd expect a modern striker to do he's mobile he's big he's strong he's 18 years old just an incredible thing to know i mean he scored two goals with his right and one with his left just who does that he's got a little bit of harry kane he's got a little bit of sergio aguero he's got a little bit of everything right now at 18 and he's only going to get better he's going to be a 150 million pound player if he gets the minutes uh, I love how Deserby handles things. He brings players along slowly. He has waited his chance. Welbeck is injured. So now Ferguson is in there. This team has young and old. It's got Lalana. It's got Welbeck. It's got Milner. But it's also got Ferguson, Estupinian, Matoma. It's got old heads in Gross who've been with the team for quite a while. And it's got Jao Pedro who's in the team for the first year or Solly March, who's now, you know, come up from them being in a championship and grown with the club. It's doing everything you want a modern football club to do. And it's got a young central defender, which is the hardest thing to find in the world in Paul Van Hecke, who really made some big saves against Isaac, where he might have lost the ball, but at least he got back in there and stopped the problems from happening. For Newcastle, they've lost three on the spin. I think a lot of the draws they had last year are becoming losses. Uh, last season, they didn't get their fifth loss until December, the 23rd game of the year. And now they already have three. They only had five all of last year, but they did have like 12 to 13 draws. When you think about teams that draw a lot, you always think, oh, they'll win those, but you could also lose them. So they're kind of 50-50s. And I think some of those 50-50s are dropping down a bit because of that lack of energy. I think fundamentally... There's something lacking from Newcastle uh, that that you want, that edge. Um, maybe it's too same. Maybe it's it's too much Almiron. Maybe Harvey Barnes needs to come in and have Isaac 
Callum Wilson and Barnes all together as a front three. Maybe that'll change things. Maybe take Tanali off for a little while and wait for and let Longstaff play because he was there before. Gives a little bit more defensive solidity. He was sort of an underrated kind of player for them. And really got to get Botman, got to get that five-man group at the back back solid let nick pope have some saves he seems to have a mistake in him now and then i don't know what's going on there so interesting times for newcastle they're going to come out of the break then they have brentford then they have the champions league it's time for eddie howe and i think chris has made a couple videos on the channel about like hey where are these guys what's their story are they going to be able to pull this together when will the knives come out for eddie howe i don't think the geordies are clamoring for Eddie Howe to be fired. I think that there's a recognition that that killer winning instinct is missing from the group. There needs to be a galvanizing force within the group. Uh, as much as I love Dan Byrne, when he's at center back, that's not good. Uh, as much as I like him. I love Dan Byrne, by the way. But this team is um, is having some problems and some issues on their growth front. So they sit at one and three now, where Brighton are now two, are now three and one. So they're up in the top of the division. Okay. Let's continue on in the great and powerful match week four. Um, I will go to my beloved Manchester City, who strangely have about as shit a 5 1 performance as you can have. Uh, and then we'll go on to Chelsea. First half, bad, really bad. Uh, up until the goal, this was probably City's one of City's crappier performances. The goal was really nice. Bing, bang, boom, gets connected with Alvarez. Uh, you know, Holland down the side, squares it to Alvarez, who's in the box. He roofs it. So on 31, everything looks fine, and City are playing the way they should. Uh, no one wants to hear the problems of City. Uh, Grealish was hurt, and it did affect City's play. They didn't take a shot until Erling Haaland's first shot on 30, and then their next shot was uh, Julian Alvarez. So the first half hour of this game had no shots. That's how shit this game was. Then after the goal, um, Fulham were the ones who looked like they were going to score a goal. Bobby Reed had a great chance. Then Raul Jimenez had a shot blocked. And then they did get their goal. Tim Ream off the corner from the blocked Jimenez shot, just not picked up. It was probably Ake's fault. And it's 1-1. And it looks like City's just going to have one of those days. But City get the benefit of, come on, it, it was an offside goal. Uh, Kanji, it's on a corner. Uh, Kanji's in the line side of, the, of Burnt Leno. He jumps over the ball. It never hits him. Nathan Ake's header goes flying in into the corner. VAR checks it. They don't call it. I I I don't know about that. Um, it's 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 not cool. <laughs> I don't like to get shit goals. I really don't. It really bothers me. But then second half, much more control, uh, much better. Uh, Holland gets another goal, left-footed from Rodri. Just you know, just a classic uh, goal there for Hurling Holland. So he's on. He's got his first, he's got it, he's off the schneid. Then a penalty uh on, on Julian Alvarez. He goes down on 70. Erling Holling dispatches that. He stays on, which is unusual for him to play the full 90 and does get a final goal 
in the 95th minute. So he joins Ferguson as one of the hot trick heroes, but city score five goals and they were bad. Uh, I know that sounds crazy. I know nobody wants to hear it. I know nobody cares, but this was a bad performance for city on a five one uh, on other days. They don't win this game or they give up more, but that's where city are right now. They're the most grooved, most powerful team in the group. Um, they just have an ability to win games that other teams don't uh, because they have Holland uh, and they have players that can pull themselves together and they can get them. They have match winners. They have killers. And um, between Holland and Alvarez and Akanji and Rodri playing the way he is, it's just, they're just too good right now. Uh, and so they are definitely favorites. They're now a perfect four for four on 12 points. I was wrong about City. I thought there'd be some sort of hangover. It seems the new players are energizing the team. Um, you know, players coming in, players moving out. Uh, Kovacic seems to have come right in and fit right in into the role that he was assigned. Uh, Doku did play. He wasn't good. Uh, you saw sort of moments and flashes, but you wouldn't expect a new City player to play well, especially a 21-year-old. He's going to need the Guardiola magic spread across him and 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 the yelling at him and all the stuff that Guardiola does and Doku Doku said it but it was nice to see him uh he had some nice touches here or there but the thing that City were missing is this game was much more frantic than they're used to City normally like to play much slower much more control and missing Grealish that sort of ball goes into the far corner he stands on it lets everyone come close so that city can suffocate you wasn't happening. So city would have the ball and then take on attackers. And when they lost the ball, they would be stretched. So uh, Fulham did have good moments. They played well. Uh, I would say, you know, Fulham will feel like they could have done more or had more of the ball. I mean, this was not a vintage city performance by any means and probably could have given up a couple more goals if, if it was a different day. And speaking of teams that are not good and still a working progress, our friends from Stanford Bridge, uh, they lose to the great and powerful Nottingham Forest. Nil one to Forest. Uh, the break by Chris's boy, Alanga. Nutmeg pass on Tiago Silva puts Alanga through and they are on for the smash and grab. Just a really great goal from Iwanyi. He takes it in the middle. Mangala sets it up. Then Iwanyi puts him through. Uh, the defenders can't get back early in the second half. And the same problems that have plagued Chelsea are still plaguing Chelsea. Too many young players, not enough leaders, not enough composure in front of goal as much as I've sung the praises of Nicholas Jackson. He missed a sitter that Raheem Sterling set up. He inexplicably leans back and kicks at it with the front of his toe as though it there's seven defenders around him. And this is a Champions League final. He had time. He had space. He could have even taken a touch and slotted at home side-footed. But instead, he slams at it and fires it everywhere. Um, you know, Chelsea only had two shots that were saved. Everything was off target. Everything was blocked. 
uh, a good performance by uh, Nottingham Forest in terms of getting in the way, but no one for, for Chelsea seemed to be able to take the game by the scruff of the neck and, and do anything with it. It just seemed to drift. And this is still a young team, still a work in progress for as good as they looked against Liverpool and as nice as Raheem Sterling looked against Luton and it looked like they got off the schneid against a well-coached Steve Cooper side that had something to hold on to, there's still just from week to week, you're not sure what you're going to get from Nottingham Forest, uh, from Chelsea. I do think we should trust the great and powerful uh, Mauricio Pochettino. We should trust that Caicedo will get better. We should trust that this team, as long as they keep playing the same groups of players together, we should expect that Chelsea will improve. And I think what will happen is it'll be something along the lines of like what I said last season for Nottingham Forest. Chelsea will have a difficult first half of the season where maybe they're in 10th at 500. Maybe they they just have, you know, one and a half points per game. So uh, after 19 games, they'd have maybe maybe 35 to 40 points, right? Uh, 19 plus call it eight. 27 30 points and then in the second half they'll have like a, a 40 point second half or a 35 point second half where the players start to connect but i think that is contingent on on the bowley group they've got to stop bringing in players chelsea aren't a unit they're not connected to each other they need time they need reps they need to get to know each other they need to do the bonding things they need to you know, do fucking sack races. They need to do egg hunts. They need to do all the stupid things that corporate America does to bond teams together because they're not connected with each other. Uh, I was listening to the ESPN FC show and um, Steve Nichol, who's old school Liverpool, won European Cups in the 80s and early 90s, played with, you know, Don Gleesh and played with Alan Hansen. So old school British football said they just need to all go and get drunk together. <laughs> and his point wasn't that they that drinking is what happens, but his point was that by being out together, yeah, you have a few pints, but eventually the conversation gets into, hey, who's good? Who's good on the ball? I liked what you did when this happened. What about when this happens? What, what should we do? So where do you like the ball? Those incidental conversations that are non-coaching learning sort of, casual learning, getting to know people, talking about football together, the way that we do on these shows, the way that we do in our chats, our group chats, the way that people do on Twitter, those conversations, but happening between the players who play together so that the games are broken down without coaches, without things, just casual conversation. What are your kids like? Does your kid play in school? Oh, I bet you he does that move like you do where you cut inside and you're left. Oh, yeah. Where'd you learn that from? Oh, yeah, I like it. I learned it at this when I was coaching with this team. Oh, you know that coach? That kind of incidental conversations that teams need to have to have the bonding that the teams can connect with each other. Now, modern football, I don't claim to know what a dressing room is like. I don't claim to know how much team bonding is going on. I don't claim to know any of these things. I'm imagining they're all 20-something years old on their phones looking for girls in cars and looking at cat videos just like everyone else. But there has to be something that connects these guys together. Maybe it's maybe it's over a guy's house and, they, and they're playing FIFA and they're playing two-on-two. -two. Maybe that's enough to get them connected. But I think that's what Chelsea needs. They need time to connect together. 
Um, and and they'll get better. I, it must it's must be super frustrating to be a Chelsea fan right now. Uh, but I think they can feel good about where they're going, and hopefully they'll get there. They just have to start having the moments. Like Nico Jackson won't make that mistake again. He'll understand what what Sterling's run is like. That he that he's going to get to the byline and do something stupid because that's what he does on the forest end of things. They have their, they sold Brendan Johnson, but they have a Langa who I think will take that spot. Uh, and they're sort of a unit. There's some continuity with the team. There's some continuity with Steve Cooper. And I think fundamentally forest will be okay. They're on the, yes, they're part of the relegation question, but they're on the, I'm less worried about them than Luton Burnley, who we'll get to in a minute and uh, Sheffield United. So uh, less inter- less worried about them, uh, more worried about the others. Okay, very cool there. Um, we should go on to the other Saturday matches as we trace around the Premier League, a game that I truly enjoyed. Uh, 5-2, uh, 2-5 Burnley, 2 Tottenham 5. Another, we go to our next hat trick hero, the great and powerful Hin Min Sun, who is getting himself back together. Burnley did have a moment. They did go up in this game from Lyle Foster, who had a new goal celebration, a jump and point, which I really liked. Uh, And so Burnley did have a moment where they felt like, hey, we're in this game. But this game was open. This game was up and down, as you'd expect from uh, Spurs and Postacoglu, where they're just defending with two. Uh, And this is the same thing that... um, um, uh, my boy Vincent Company wants to do. He wants to play an attack. The player that I love in Burnley right now is Luca Kosha. Col- Wait, Luca Kolishu. Really nice player. He set up Lyle Foster for the goal. Uh, but then Solomon breaks down the wing. He squares it to Hinman Sun, who puts it away on the other side. No Richarlison in this one. Sun playing through the middle, which I think is probably better with Kulishevsky and Solomon Rondon with with James Madison in the number 10 and his two enforcers, Saar and Basuma behind them, who do all the work. Uh, a really good performance by Spurs, a really fun performance by Spurs, a really powerful performance by Spurs. Even Christian Romero gets Spurs ahead at the interval with a really good strike, bounces out to the edge of the box. He fires it in and Spurs are up to one. This game had shots. This game had goal mouth activity. This game was bonkers. There were six, 15 shots on target, 11 from Spurs, four from uh, Burnley. Burnley insisted on playing out from the back. Uh, possession was relatively close, 47-53 in favor of Spurs. But a lot of action, a lot of crazy stuff went on. But the talent and power of Spurs did show through with... Um, Romero, then James Madison got a really nice goal, really pretty stuff from outside the box. He's free on 54, fires at top bins, and then on 63 and 66, Hyunmin Sun scores two more. Really just really open up uh, Burnley, who are kind of in trouble, I'd say. If if Vincent Company is going to play like this, he's going to have a hard time. Uh, I'm sure... Trafford would have liked to have saved a couple of these, but listen, he made six saves in the game. Uh, he just wasn't able to keep burn uh, Tottenham at bay. Uh, they did fight in the back half of the game uh, from, from the set from once the second goal went in um, 
Burnley, to their credit, did try and create as many chances as they could and had the last five or six, five, seven to five or six shots in the game and did get a final consolation goal from Josh Brownhill on a deflection. So the Pasta Coglu revolution continues. Burnley still do not have a win. They're 0 for 3 and have shipped lots and lots and lots of goals. But uh, I'm sure company is like, these aren't the games that I'm going to uh, win the, the league on. But it's not good for Burnley when you're sitting in last place with on a minus eight <laughs> and leading the league in goals against with a game in hand. So not great for Burnley. They did get lit up pretty, pretty good. But maybe, you know, maybe back half of the season, Burnley will play better. But, you know, there's going to be knives out for company if this team just keeps giving up goals. Um, they did play. They have had a difficult fixture list. I'm sure they would have liked to have played Luton already, but that game was postponed. Uh, for them, they've lost to Manchester City. They've lost to Aston Villa. And now they've lost to Spurs. Um shipping now six 11 goals so not a great uh not great for them they did beat uh nottingham forest in the efl cup so they're not without any merit their next game is forest when they come back from the break they'll feel better about that away to forest should be a tough game uh i don't know how forest will play that's the kind of game that i expect burnley will try and feel better about because forests aren't exactly pulling up trees no pun intended uh but Spurs sitting on 10 points. So good for them. Lots of teams on 10 right now. Um, good stuff. Really enjoying Spurs. They are the team to watch. They're up and down. Van de Ven looks good. He's getting more comfortable. Uh, we know about Romero being an aggressive defender. Uh, I'm sure he's got a mistake in him. And then the the keeper, Vicario, has actually been pretty good so far. So Spurs looking good, looking fun, looking exciting, looking like a team to follow on about and enjoy uh, all season long. I'm going to go to Everton. Uh, this was the early game on Saturday. 2-2. Two, two. The good news is Everton scored two goals. The bad news is they gave up two goals to Sheffield. Uh, but they have won the XG battle again. So they're creating chances. I liked what I saw from Danjuma. I liked what I saw from Beto. So I think there's some glimmer of hope now for the doomed uh, Everton. But they played okay. Uh, Archer was very lively for Sheffield coming from, uh, I believe, Aston Villa. No, coming from Middlesbrough. Uh, had scored 11 goals for them last season in a bench role after having uh, after having a loan from Aston Villa. Nice little player, Mr. Archer. Very good. Uh, and we'll see what kind of goals he can score for um, Sheffield United. They needed, they needed some quality. They needed someone to get them some goals. Uh, the own goal that Pickford gave up was pretty incredible. Archer slams it off the bar, and then it backs off... Um, <laughs> Pickford's head and in. So Archer really scored two goals in a way. Decore with the first um, for Everton. They took the lead twice in this game, but were unable to put it away. Um, good game. Enjoyable game. Uh, a little bit more hope for Everton with Beto up front. He did a lot of good work. Uh, big man, mobile, uh, did put Danjuma in for the goal. Uh, I really like what I saw. Um, Everton games are hard to watch, but I do like to follow along on the 
uh, on the relegation battle uh, for Sheffield United. You know, they're still working hard. They do have their goal scorer now in Archer. Maybe he'll get them 10 goals. 10 goals would be huge for them. But uh, I still think that they're a relegation candidate along with Everton, along with Luton, uh, who uh, the less talked about this game, the better. West Ham 2, uh, Luton Town 1. Um, Jared Bowen just keeps scoring. Kurt Zoma with a header. Um, Luton Town did get their second goal of the season. Uh, Mads Jewel Anderson on the header. But uh, we did get the obligatory Kenilworth Road. We did get the uh, we can see you we can see you in the bath chant from the West Ham away fans as they crossed the bridge and could see into people's houses. So we had we did that. Now we don't have to do that again. So that's all good there. Um, any other games that I'm missing? Oh, Brentford, Bournemouth. Um, again, Brian and Bimo pulls out the draw in the 93rd minute, leading the league in goals. Matthias Jensen on a half Olympico, really tight angle free kick. He fires it in. Uh, Neto will feel like he should have done it. But Solanke and Brooks did bring uh, Bournemouth level. Uh, uh, Andoni Ireola does not get his first win yet. But Brentford still living in that world of draws. They are unbeaten, but only have one win and three draws. Uh, still a good side. Still tough. Uh, Brentford, I believe, play Newcastle next. Is that true? Uh, just looking at the next round of games. Once everyone gets back from the international break, United with Brighton. That will be very, very tough. City get West Ham in a battle of top teams. And Brentford do get Newcastle. So some tough, tough games coming up when we get back from the international break. Um, let's just go through the table because I think, you know, usually after four games, you want to get a sense of where everything is. I think I covered everyone. And if I didn't, I will, I will do my headlines just before we wrap it up. So City, top of the league, undefeated. On plus nine goal difference, four games, four wins. Spurs, Liverpool, West Ham, and Arsenal all on 10 um, with goal differences seven, six, five, four. So that makes sense. <laughs> Spurs at the top there. So with three wins and a draw. Um, then we have Arsenal. Sorry. And then we have Brighton with three wins and a loss, but their goal difference is plus six. They're on nine points. Palace on seven. Brentford on six, along with Forrest, Aston Villa, and United, all with two wins uh, and two losses, while Brentford have a win and three draws, which is the outlier there. Then our teams on four points, Fulham and um, Chelsea, with one win, a draw, and a loss. Uh, Chelsea are on even, so they're not a minus. So they're playing okay. Then we've got the great and powerful Newcastle on three after their one win at Vaston Villa with the three losses on the bounce, along with Wolves, who have their win against Everton. Then we have Bournemouth on the two draws with two points, so out of the relegation zone, and Sheffield and Everton both get their first points of the season. Luton Town and Burnley on zero points. That is the Premier League table as it stands, going into the first international break. Now, this week, what did we see? What can we take away? Um, I think 
the big thing was the hat tricks. So Ferguson, Sun, and Holland. Uh, hat tricks are a big deal. They don't happen all the time. Uh, this this um this week was only the second time in Premier League history that a hat trick had been scored. Uh, three hat tricks on the same weekend. I think it was Shearer, Owen. And Yaboa was the last time there was a triple hat trick weekend. So that was cool. And then Ferguson being 18 years old, he's only the third 18 year old to score a hat trick. I believe Owen did it twice Fowler and then a guy called, Butt Williams or something like that. I know it's a strange name did it for Nottingham forest uh, who I believe he recently passed away. So sad, great that his name got in the news, but sad that he's gone. Uh, so Ferguson is on a good, good path to be a hat trick hero uh, at 18. If he takes the Owen or Fowler level thing, he's going to be an all time legend uh, and Brighton showing and solidifying their things. Um, narratives coming out of this weekend. Who's catching city. We don't know. Liverpool look to be solid. Tottenham and West Ham outperforming where we expect. West Ham going back to their clinical nature uh, that they had not last season, but the season before. And then the Ange, the Ange ball positivity is just fantastic to see for Tottenham. Uh, just a wonder. Arsenal still a work in progress, but getting results. So that's their narrative. Brighton, a real challenger, despite selling $200 million worth of players. And then from a disappointment level, I think... I wouldn't say Aston Villa should be disappointed. I think the two disappointing teams would be United and Newcastle, I think, at this point. Uh, with Newcastle and United kind of even. And then I think um, works in progress, or we'll see where they are, teams... Chelsea and Aston Villa, I would have expected a little bit more from both, or maybe they're where they should be. Uh, Aston Villa with two really bad losses, but then two good wins. So we'll see what happens there. And then Chelsea just need that time to be together. Um, other, other than that, I think the relegation zone looks like we expected it. Everton, Luton, Burnley. Um, I think Everton... It looks like they may have something, even after not scoring for three games. I still think they might be better than Sheffield and Bournemouth. Uh, I am worried for Fulham without Paulinha. Uh, sorry, Paulinha is staying. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, uh, and, and there's that. I believe uh, we did just have the transfer window pass, but I think we'll cover that with, um, with Chris. I think the key players have already been known. Ansu Fati being the the late move to Brighton, which is insane. I mean, it's like a giant marketing flag that says Brighton are the real deal. We got a real live player on our team. So that one's huge for them. Uh, a lot of minor players moving among other clubs, but that Ansu Fati to Brighton is really, really the big one. And then um, uh, Mo Salah not leaving is huge. Liverpool, if he does, they're doomed. But uh, they're where they should be. They do get Gravenbatch. Uh, grabbing back to play in the midfield. So their midfield rebuild is complete. They didn't get the players they wanted, but they got players, which is probably the more important thing. They needed new legs uh, and they're where they need to be. Uh, City do end up signing Nunez. So he's an extra midfield body that they replace instead of going for Paqueta. Um, West Ham have Kudos to put in still. They have not integrated him yet. 
and uh, West no, not West Ham, but uh, Man United do sign Regulon as cover for Luke Shaw and Malasia. He was on the bench today, and we finally got to see Holland Hoyland uh, play for United. So that is match week four in the books, and we are going to say that was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with. Laurent Fortines. We are the football wing of the Chop Sports Channel, presented by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on mon- on Sundays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show. It means everything. I will also be with Chris on the Top FC News Channel on YouTube, and you can get more stuff there. I'll leave it in the links to the description of the show. Thank you, and goodbye.